You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. This is why we preach through books of the Bible. Um, because if I just uh, chose early in the week what I was going to be preaching on, it it would never be this. Uh, and that's a fact. So uh, let me pray. <clears throat> Father, thank, thank you for your goodness and kindness and that, that all of your word is for us and that it, it rebukes and, and reproves and shapes and sculpts and, and builds up and cuts down. Uh, we're, we're all on your mission, all who, who live by your name. And, and and that might be hurling towards some big things, but we know that that every day we get to join you in the in the small things. And today, would you just do work uh, in and through and among the village church today for your glory? We thank you for your goodness and your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Watch out, Tucson! Here we come. Kind of a, a famous line from uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, circa 1997. Uh, the, the thing about that movie is that there's kind of a road trip, and, and that kind of sets things on a, a sail. And um, in solid road trip movies, they often have a, a song montage that gets us from, from one place to the next. And, and maybe it's one time to the next, or maybe it's a transition from, from childhood to adulthood, or, or maybe it's literally from one city to another. You know, like the gap between uh, a, a million movies and stories where, where the president, he hears of a crisis, and that's the setup. And then, you know, you have a little bit of a segue to get to the soldiers on the battlefield. But the things that happen in between those two things, they're kind of important, too. The, the music transitions without cluttering the details with dialogue, and, and maybe the song would go on, and you would hear, uh, and it would fade down, and a, a voice, a little dialogue, and then it would pick back up again, and, and just things press on to get us from one place to the next. We're, we're drawn in those moments to kind of bob our heads, and I think that's why, um, you know, producers do that stuff. They, they draw us in, but, but it also seems an opportune time to go snag a beverage or, or to use the restroom, right, if we're watching a movie. And, and the internet can help with that. If you're going to watch a movie this week, you can search before you go. And if you have young kids especially, when's the best time to use the restroom? And the internet will tell you the best time to use the restroom uh, or, or to get a refill or to get popcorn or whatever. Um, what, the reason why that is, is is because it points us to these transition scenes that don't really uh, press the storyline through. They, they are essentially throwaway scenes that, that are helpful for cinematic value, but they don't press the story along. And while that is, uh, is particularly dangerous when we treat our lives the same way, I'm sure you've heard the, uh, the idea or, or the quote, you know, um, it's not the destination but the journey. And, and if I'm being honest, I have seen that. I feel like an old person when I begin to discover, like, no, that's, that's like a real thing. 
you know? And I know you want to get there, but it's not just about getting there. It's about, it's about like what happens along the way. That, that, you know, and so, so that, that saying is fine, well, and true, but dang, sometimes we just want to get there. And we, we just want to, to be at the end. We just want to, uh, in a movie, we want to get to the tension or get to the resolve. And, and in this text today, we see some weird stuff. Gosh, some of the weirdest stuff in all of the scriptures, right? And so, to me, some of the stuff... Uh, if you're connecting to a community group, ask your community group leader this, this week like, you know, like, to, to unpack and to apply some of this stuff to your life. Don't ask me to do it. I'm just going to talk about it for 40, 50, 60, 70 minutes today. So it is the weirdest, but, but I think we can make some, some high-level connections, uh, but we must consider where this falls. So, so it's, it's not just the content, which is always content is king, in Scripture, we, we never bypass the content, but it's also the context that finds the danger for Moses and, and the danger for us. Moses has heard from God, and, and all that's left to do now is to trust him and join him. And it took some, some coercing and some convincing Moses in the, in the burning bush and all that. And, and at the end of uh, last week's sermon, where we kind of left off in the middle of chapter 4, God says, take your staff, go do the signs. That's where, that's where we left off. So that's the, the setup and all that has happened. And you might think that we would just, just play a song and get to, the, to him showing up on Pharaoh's doorstep, and, but, but that doesn't happen. And, and if, we, if we miss this, then we miss a whole lot of stuff to do with, with yours and my life and what Moses' journey and his transition to mission has to do with, with your and, and mine transition to mission. In this, we are seeing the gap between the call and, and the duty right? And so we're not Moses. We say that time and time again. Uh, there's no burning bush that I've encountered, and, and maybe you have, but uh, there, there's no Pharaoh that you're going to tango with, so we have to kind of adjust our gaze to, to see ourselves in light of the stuff that's, that's unraveling here. We are susceptible to overlook transitions for destinations, and, and that shows up in a thousand ways, and, and maybe it's you delight because you're engaged to be married. And then you just throw away your engagement because you can't wait to get to the wedding. And so you miss all the beauty in the development and, and the relational beauty of an engagement because you're just you're planning for, and you, this is just a throwaway scene to get me to that, that wedding day. Or, or maybe you, you're a senior in high school, and you just... You just forsake all of it because, man, you just want to graduate and move on and, and, and do your thing. And so you miss all of the things that, that will make that graduation day really special or important or, or even valuable. And so, so that happens in a, a thousand ways that we could do that in, in real life and scenes like that and, and in other scenarios. But I want to hone in to this storyline that connects us to Moses, that, that we are redeemed, that we might redeem. And redemption is not in our hands, right? We look at that all the time. This has nothing to do with us being a great Savior, but we know that, that God saves us to send us. And we see that over and over again. We are, we are being rescued that we might join the rescue and, and point people to God's saving work. And every one of us who are in Christ, every one of us in this room who are God's church, we come to a similar place Right when, when God reaches into our lives and we come to faith and God reveals himself and he uses his own to make himself known to us. And so we read things like, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach good news. 
And in the context in that passage, what we see is, is God uses people to make himself known. He sends us that we might proclaim, that others might hear, that they might trust. And so, so we come to a place where we are awakened by the Spirit to know that we have a great need that we cannot overcome. And when that happens, God uses both his spirit personally and, and the proclamation of, of good news to other broken yet redeemed people. And, and we hear and we see and we, we turn from sin and we turn to God and we trust him and we join him on repeat. And you're in this room because that's happened over and over and over and over Again, we, we trust Jesus and we join his family and we connect to the church and, and we join a local family in a real time and a real place and, and we start building. We get to contribute to God's mission and, and there's, there's no waiting period to that. We say rightly that when we are, we're baptized into the family, we are baptized into the mission. That's, that's, that's uh, one and the same. But at the same time, it's difficult to live for God's glory as a, as a new Christian, when, when we don't know what God's glory is, it's difficult to live a life of obedience when, when we don't know what He asks of us. It's difficult to tell others uh, of the ins and outs and articulate the, the greatness and the glory of God and what He does and, and how He confronts our uh, false saviors when, when we just don't know that stuff. And so it takes some time, and we see God offer grace upon grace to Paul, the apostle, who was opposing the church. And Jesus showed up and he blinded them in some miraculous way. And Paul kind of, he goes away for three years that he might be trained up before he comes back in and he starts, you know, writing all of the New Testament. He didn't become a Christian and then just start writing the New Testament, starting writing letters to churches and, and building the church. There was a transition period where, he, where, where his identity reoriented around who Christ was. We see Jesus. He grew up a boy, he became a carpenter, he made a, a decent wage, right? Having created all that ever was in all the entire universe, and, and at, at, at one particular time he began his ministry at 30 years old. So God trained him up in the ways of who he was, that he might engage in a particular context, all right? We see in the New Testament when when we're told what, what pastors and, and elders and shepherds and all those are kind of just the same words for, for God's uh, stewards that, that lead God's church, that, that there are not to be new converts. Why is that? Because there takes some development, some training that has to happen when we reorient our lives around who Christ is. And so for some, this idea of transitioning to mission, it might find you uh, um, fresh on your journey. And you're like, wow, this is... I'm there. And, and for others, it might find you stale. And the transition from alive in him to, to working through him has, has maybe hit a snag along the way. But, but here's the reality. There are no throwaway scenes in life. Not yours, not mine, not ours, not Moses's. So let's learn from Moses in kind of a fast-paced cascade of scenes which takes us from burning bush to Pharaoh's throne, from, from uh, a moment with God to to the mission from God. Transitions challenge us to get things in order and trust God for what's to come. The first thing that we see Moses does is he gets his house in order. Right? Let's read verse 18 and, uh, through 20. 
Moses went back to Jethro, that's his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Now, I don't think he's just lying there. He's just trying not to freak his father-in-law out. He's, he's going to go confront Pharaoh and, and lead Israel uh, out of captivity. And so he, he goes to his father-in-law. He says, hey, I'm, I'm going to take um, your daughter. And I'm going to go. He said to Moses, go in peace. It's good. You always want the uh, father-in-law's approval, huh? Uh, and, and the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his son to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Remember, this wasn't a scepter. It wasn't a golden scepter uh, like Jafar carries around in Aladdin, right? It wasn't like that. It was a, a dead uh, piece of wood uh, that God was setting apart for his own glory, right? So, so we see in this uh, three things, and this first point is 90% of the sermon. So just get comfortable, all right? Um, so, so he gets his house in order, right? Can you, can you see it? The this, this staff is gripped in his hand. It's an icon of, of God's presence, of, of his remembrance of what God's going to do. He turned it into a snake. He turned it back into a staff. He turned his hand into a leper's hand, and, and then it made it, made it clean again. He, he turned the water from the Nile into blood. And, 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 and so he grips the staff as an, as an icon of remembrance, and, and the wind blows, and the journey begins. You know, cue the soundtrack. Let's get on with it. He's been reluctant, and now life as he knows it is, is upside down. So, so let's go. He submits to Jethro, his father-in-law. Way back when, I was a freshman in college. And, and Kim and I, we, we lived in Tennessee. We went to college in Tennessee. We were not married yet. We were recently engaged. And, um, and we came home for a wedding. And the, the very next day, uh, Kim's grandpa passed away tragically. And so that, that kind of ah, that shaped stuff. And so we had to deal with some stuff at, at college. And so we, we, had, we drove back all the way down to near Chattanooga, Tennessee that day. And then we came right back the next day. And so it was like a lot of driving and, and like uh, high emotion and quick turnaround. So we went to Tennessee and, and back to Ohio. And, uh, and in that travel, the sun was bright. It was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We we're in the Jellicoe Mountains. No one else was around. We were just, just cooking and I fell asleep, and I crashed Kim's 1993 Chevy Beretta. Um, that woke me up. Uh, the, the beauty was the truck wasn't stopped. It was moving, too. All right? And as the story goes, I think it hit me. But, okay. Uh, lane change, I hit it, and, and it, you know, uh, a couple inches one way or the other. If it wasn't there, we're still falling down the Jellicoe Mountains today. But, but the, the truck swerved, it never stopped, it just kept going, we pulled over, I nearly died having a heart attack, and, and Kim said, maybe you didn't hit a truck, maybe you just hit a sign, right? I was like, no, Kim, I hit the truck, and I'm like freaking. So we pull over, we pull over uh, the car, like, it just missed the, the wheel, and so it's just basically a dented fender. Long story, unnecessarily long. We get back to, uh, to Kim's grandma's, and, and there's, this is pre-cell phone, and so we didn't tell anybody. We showed up. Uh, that's how old. I know, pre-cell phone. It's crazy. We get to Kim's grandma's, and everyone's there, and, and, and mourning, and, and whatever, and so I, uh, we probably, I probably thought of a hundred ways. Why don't we just tell your parents that you were driving, or... Um, <laughs> 
whatever, that someone hit us, but, but here's what we, what we did. Kim kind of stayed back, and, and I went into the living room, and I said, uh, Tim, this is Kim's dad, this is Jethro, right? Uh, can I talk to you for a second? And like, imagine this scene, right? A lot of tension comes out on the porch. Uh, I just want to let you know, I, I fell asleep, crashed, wrecked Kim's car. We're okay. Here we are. The car is whatever. Um, and, uh, and what Tim said to me was, uh, Michael, I can't be worrying about my daughter in your hands. We'll figure it out. You know, go in peace. And, and we haven't talked about it since that day. So. <laughs> <clears throat> Thanks for that, Tim. See, I can't help but think that, that similar emotions weren't flowing through this conversation between Moses and Jethro. And, and it seems so simple. It's, it's a throwaway scene. He just went and talked to, to, to his wife's dad, but, but later God would deliver through Moses the Ten Commandments. And in the fourth one of those, it says, Honor your father and mother. And what we see is that Moses demonstrates great honor in, in getting, uh, his, his, uh, getting things at home in order before he sets off and does whatever he does, right? We get to learn from that. We get to do the same thing. But, but it's not just Jethro that he submits to and that, that he acknowledges through honor, but he's, he submits to God. And so we see this, this next line that, that God says, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So we don't know how much time had passed in there. It seemed like he was leaving the burning bush and he's like getting the first flight to Egypt, but... But that's clearly not what happened because God approaches him some, some time later in his life, they're dead. And, and, and so we get to see that whenever we are journeying to the Lord's mission, we get to make certain that God is the one who sent us. This is really, really important that we do this. N- not only the mission, but the timing of the mission, right? What I mean is it's important not to assign God's promise or, or God's purpose to our human hopes, we do it all the time. We pray things. God doesn't do things. We blame Him. But, and, and, and that's tough. And I don't minimize that. And I don't understand it. I don't get it all. But what I know is that, that God is faithful to His Word. What we can't do is... It, what what that, that doesn't mean is that we get to walk in health, wealth, and happiness. That, that, that's not what that means. It means that God's going to be clear and, and He's going to be uh, truthful to His Word. He's going to be faithful to His Word every single time. But that doesn't mean that He's faithful just to our, to our hopes. And so we have to be really careful to know, is the mission clear? Is the mission from God? Is the timing right? Because that's what we see. The timing is right. The mission is clear. But then when we, what we continue to kind of see here is, is that we are actually always on God's mission wherever we are. If you hang out with us, you know that we don't bank on some uh, one conversation that you're going to have in 20 years and your whole life culminated to that point. It might be a big deal, and you might be a big deal sometime. And God's mission might be far and wide, and you might be an influencer of, of, of thousands or hundreds of thousands or, or millions, but, but you might not all the days of your life. So what we see, when we see God weaving these stories together, these fast-paced, just kind of knitting, uh, knitting the scenes together, we see that God's mission weaves a thread so much bigger than we could ever imagine. There are 10 million moving parts to every scene and every scenario. 
We, we don't hear anything about Aaron, how he got to this point. All we know is that Aaron showed up, and just like God said, is, is he was happy to see Moses. Moses tells him what's up, and Aaron says, Bible. He would have his own story. And if you were doing the same, don't write the Bible. But if you were, if you were doing the same, you would have your own story. And, and certainly, if I'm telling a story, you might, you might show up in a scene or two. But, but God is weaving all of our stories together. And, and, and uh, Moses is doing his part in part. And what we see is Jesus will do his part in full. We see the New Testament writers give nods to, to the exodus of old and to, to the Old Testament time and time again. And one way is right in this text. We see uh, Jesus. He was born. And similar to Moses' story, this parallels all across the way. Uh, Herod was the king, and he was fearful that others might worship this guy, and so he had all the, the, the babies killed under two years old, and, and, and so Jesus, being with Joseph and Mary, his, his mom and stepdad, they take him and they flee to Egypt. And then at one point, this happens to Joseph in Matthew 2. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise, take the child and mother, and go back to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. It's, it's quite literally the, the same words that we see in Moses' journey and Jesus' journey. Look, and that, that, is not, that is not an accident. God's weaving this thing together. And, and what we know is, so many of the connections between these sort of saviors along the way, like Moses... Uh, and, and, and the new and the better Savior, Jesus. So many of the connections uh, point us to Jesus in the fact that, that God is always at work. And in this case, we see some geographical reversal. We see Moses uh, goes to Egypt to save Israel. We see Jesus goes from Egypt to save Israel in a greater exodus, from, from, not from, from chains uh, outside, but from sin and death within and we see the New Testament writer Matthew, in the book of Matthew, it's, it's one of the four Gospels, and it's primarily written to a Jewish audience. So he's literally winking at them as he's writing because they know the story of the Exodus. They, they know all of this. They know what's happening. They know the God of the Old Testament. And Jesus is trying to say the, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, and his name is Jesus. So he points time and time again, right? Uh, Matthew winks at the Jews to show them the greater mission, one that, that Moses, he adds bricks to, and one that we get to put stones in, but that ultimately is built upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus. So then we see more connections as we read on in Exodus. I'll read 21 and 23. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt... See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. I don't have 30 minutes. I promise we will get to that because this comes up over and over again. All, all that I'll say right now is, is we get to punt and come back to this later that, that the judge of all the earth always does right. There is no uh, injustice. There is no unfairness in God's hands other than what he gives Christ to our credit. And, and, and what we see is, is that God is at work even through the hardest of hearts. 
And yet, each of us are responsible for our own sin. We'll come back to that down the line. We'll have someone else preach it. Um, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Israel, My firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Gosh. Israel is my firstborn son. Let him go, that he may serve me. And if you don't, this is like God says, this is what I want you to tell Pharaoh. I want you to say it just like this. Tell him he's going to let my son, Israel, go. Uh, and, and he says, um, if, if you don't, I have a unique set of skills and I will hunt you down and I will kill your firstborn son. And so we are reminded in, in all of this that, that, that all of the missions are God's mission. We see it in every page of the Exodus that none of this is about Moses. That, that all of the mission is God's mission, but, but we see more connections to Jesus. And there's this, this podcast, 40 Minutes in the Old Testament. They just unpack all of this stuff and they walk through verse by verse uh, lots of books of the Bible. And so, man, I encourage you to, to spend some time in the Exodus one. But, but they talk about this idea that we see in Scripture that, that Israel prefigures the church as God's lighthouse to darkness, right? God called a nation to himself. Uh, well, he called a person, Abraham, and then a family. He established under difficult circumstances a nation and, and a kingdom. And that kingdom would spread to be the church and all who would call upon his name. And so, so we see that, that, that Israel prefigures the church as a lighthouse. We are saved from sin for God's mission, for God's glory. And so there are connections all over the place between Israel and the church and and Christ. And and some of them are corporate and some of them are individual. But ultimately, Christ is the son whom Pharaoh is opposing. And for those who reject Christ, death is their wage. And look, death is our wage. For all who oppose God's work, God's redemption, God's people, God's son. And so, so history is, is knit, God's history is knit with a, a crimson thread. And we get to remember and we get to find and we get to press that thread forward in scenes of life. And, and this reminds us that, that no matter what we, uh, no matter what, we get to submit our role in the mission to God who works all things. So, so then it gets even weirder. And, and, and we're still in the first point, right? That he's getting his house in order, right? And that, that he submitted to his father-in-law and that, that he submits to the Lord and, and timing and, 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 and the mission before him. And then we see this submission to consistency. Zipporah, we'll call her. She represents the aligning of Moses' family and, and their heart with God's mission. Let me read it to you. At a lodging place on the way, remember this is, this is the song, whatever song it is, it's, it's the journey, just the segue. And so they, they go to a lodging house, uh, and, and this is what it says. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, that's Moses we think, and sought to put him to death. So out of nowhere, God meets Moses and he wants to kill him. Then uh, Zipporah took a flint, that's uh, a scalpel, and 
It's actually a rock, but, you know, you get the idea. And cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. And here's the... Even more weird than this, the feet can also be translated genitals. I, that's what happens. Zipporah's Moses' wife. She circumcises their son and puts it on or near Moses. And then she says, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So let... Uh, so he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. That, that's a throwaway scene. <laughs> you just, we're just blazing through. Like, when's he get to Pharaoh? But this is kind of a big deal. And, and it's about, I, I, I think, I, I read a whole bunch, and there's 10 billion, no one knows what this really means. I'll tell you that. But, but there's 10 billion representations and, and all kinds of things <laughs> Um, whenever God is against someone, it is, it's for just cause. It's, it's not just cause, it's, it's for a, a cause of justice. right? That, that's always the case. And so, he's going to kill Moses. Now, remember, Moses fled Egypt for his own life because he shed the blood of, a, of an Egyptian. So he goes to Midian. He's been there for 40 years. We'll find that out later, but he's been there for a long time. Midian is a sanctuary city because of the bloodshed, and many would go there, but that, that Moses demonstrated. So there's an air of, of blood for blood splattered all over these scenes and these pages, and there is consistent theme of bloodshed throughout the covenants of both the old and the new. And, and in fact, in the, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9 says, without shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And so we look, when, when Adam and Eve sinned. God killed an animal and he clothed them with its fur. We, we, we press on and we have uh, Abraham who's going to sacrifice his son and yet God provides the, the blood of the ram caught in the thicket and then we have temple worship and we have bloodshed atoning for the sins through the priest and all kinds of stuff and we fast forward and we see it's the blood of the lamb, the, the, the um, the spotless lamb, Christ himself, whose blood atones for our sin. And we see this idea of firstborn. And firstborn's a big deal uh, in, in this cultural context, but also throughout the scriptures. And we see it that the firstborn were fit sacrifices. When you look at the animals that they used, and, and you see that Pharaoh and, and Herod, they destroyed the children. But, but we see the blood of the firstborn brings judgment, but it also brings redemption. And when, when we add all these things together and all these themes with this consideration of getting our house in order, what we see is, is Moses and, and Zipporah were not raising their sons. They had a couple. Their son, at least, according to the covenant of Abraham. Uh, this child was not circumcised on the eighth day or any day, which indicated that Moses was going to save the Hebrews into a lifestyle of worshiping God on the mountain, but he himself was not living a life where God was the center of his worship and of his family's worship. Otherwise, he would have been circumcised. So you can imagine it like this. Dad, where, where are we going? Uh, we're, we're going to save the Hebrews. The God of the Hebrews, he, I saw him in a burning bush, and, and they're in captivity, son. And uh, I'm sorry, 
that who's the God of the Hebrews? You know, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hey, Dad, who's Abraham? Can you imagine? And so, somehow in this mix, Zipporah understands that, that that's not right. And some commentators said that, that because of the way that this is written, that, that Moses may began to like be in a, a trance or like in a, uh, like he's having a seizure. And she makes the connection that, that it's God's judgment upon him because we're going to save God's people and by God, we're not even God's people. So, so she does the sign of the covenant that you would be part of God's family, that you would circumcise your, your, your sons on the, on the eighth day and she, she does that and, and makes haste of it. And she assigns that value to Moses. And then she, she basically, there's other stuff in there, but she, she basically says, um, what does she say? She says, uh, God let him alone. It, it was then that she said a bridegroom of blood. And, and what we see in all this um, is, is that it's an easy trap to fall into. That, that we might be trying to, to put on a show or to do mighty things to advance the kingdom without a mindfulness to get our own house centered around God himself. That we get to reorient our lives first. We get to do that, right? It's, it's not the mission that's important, but it's, it's being connected to the God of the mission. How easy it is to have the mission in focus and all that we have to do or all that we get to do for the kingdom. But we forget who's sending us or what he requires. And it's not just um, of, of others, but it's of us that he requires these things. What does it look like to follow him? Where does our life reflect inconsistency that might require repentance and blood? And look, it's either going to be your own blood or it's going to be Christ's blood that saves us, that spares us. So Zipporah, she, she, she becomes aware of this inconsistent life that Moses was leading and, and that God was righte- righteously judging Moses and, uh, according to his sin. She circumcised the son as a symbol of the family kind of coming back to themselves before God, before Moses goes and leads the entire nation they personally become sons and daughters of God. Look, she, she comes to a place where she says, no matter what life we've lived, we are yours from this moment forward. It was the blood of circumcision that saved Moses by faith, and today it's Christ that saves us from God's judgment by faith. And, and so the, this kind of segue sentence is, and she got her husband back. That's basically what it means. A bridegroom groom of blood. Gosh, Moses, I, I'm glad that, that I got you back. Because for a second, you were all but gone. So God cares about the mission. He invites us into the, the big things. And he cares just the same that we are dependent, trusting, and that, that we live consistent lives in his name. God doesn't need an, an army of hypocrites he has plenty of those. We get to live consistent lives, trusting him all the while. So the reason why we must get our house in order, uh, to have healthy relationships, submission to God, we get to orient our heart around him and, and practice what we preach along the way before we get to the battlefield is because it's really tough 
that they are God's. And that he's not just doing this big work, but he's doing work in them. And they're going to bail because while the end of this chapter ends really nicely, it doesn't last long. Okay, that was point one. The second thing we see is, is that he gets the team on board. And I'll try to just summarize what's happening here. Uh, he, he goes to Aaron, and he goes to the elders, and he said, this is what's going to happen. And, and just like God said, they come together, and, and Aaron's on board, and he says, okay, I'm going to do it. And, and they go to the elders, and, and it doesn't say that they show him the signs, but, but basically everyone's on board. They get a ri- alignment around the plans ahead. They're not just showing up willy-nilly, knocking on Pharaoh's door, but they're saying, what does this look like? God is in it. God's doing it. Okay, let's, let's, uh, let's get together and figure out what we're doing, and it happens just like, just like God said. Now, now Romy and Michelle, they, they had to contrive a, a fake life. Um, the soldier on, on the battlefield, in, in any number of movies, he had to receive news and commands and specific training to wherever his commander was sending him. But because God graciously provides Aaron, Moses had to tell the news and get the elders on board to engage Pharaoh. God is at work from from start to end. There's no question about that. Whether it's the rescue from Egypt or it's our rescue from sin and death, success depends upon God alone. And in in his grace, he uses clumsy humans like Moses and like you and like me to see his plans through. And Moses is simply being obedient. He's inviting others into his journey. And he says, this is, this is who God is. And this is what he said. And this is what we are to do. And he said that he would do the work. He would save the Hebrews from Egypt, uh, from, from their chains and from their abuse. Likewise, as the church, with disciples and planting and establishing and watering and, and growing his kingdom for a long, long time, and the way that he does that now under the new covenant in Christ is, is by his Holy Spirit through the church. The church is saved through the mission and it's sent on God's mission. And so we are disciples and we get to make disciples and we get to mature and, and build the church and establish elders and, and all the things that, that we see in the scriptures and we get to lead and we get to multiply. And sometimes that means that, that a church grows and gains influence and bears fruit in a community like this one. And sometimes we get to uh, send shoots of healthy church out. We get to plant other gospel-formed church communities elsewhere. And so many of you know that we got to do that. Earlier in, uh, in spring of 2019, we, we finally, as a church planting church, we sent our first church plant out to Lebanon, not Lebanon, that's farther away, Lebanon, Ohio. And so uh, we, we did that prayerfully and, and slowly, and, and we planned and we stewarded, we got the team on board and we trained, we invested in a church planting residency and a church planter and his family and a team of people. And so check out this video and you get a little update on uh, Cedar City Church. Since moving to Lebanon, Ohio last summer to plant a church, we've had quite a few interesting experiences. From needles in our yard, screaming matches on front lawns, breaking up fistfights to graffiti covering the shelter house in our park. We've also had the pleasure of meeting so many wonderful people. A single woman who passes out popsicles to the neighborhood kids during the summer. Homeless who have stopped by the church to chat about life neighbors coming to peace with their cancer diagnosis, 
and many who are just trying to make it through the week. The Pleasant Square Park neighborhood is made up of so many talented, strong-willed, and ambitious people who are dreaming about the future. Some have had a few setbacks in life. Some are doing just fine. Some are in need of a little guidance and care. And others, they just need a friend. All of these wonderful people are made in the image of God. All are in need of a Savior. And all of these people need to be loved, served, and befriended. We never dreamed God would have placed our family and Cedar City Church where we are today. And we are so happy to be a part of this neighborhood. I want to introduce you to this community, gospel, and mission. We value the church as community. We want to know each other deeply and share life together. We value the gospel. As best we can, we try to know Jesus and center our lives on Him. And we value mission. Jesus came to the earth on a mission to search for and save anyone who would call upon His name for salvation. We want to engage our community and introduce people to Jesus. We hope to expand the ways that we utilize the park and our building to reach and impact this community with the gospel. We hope to provide more resources for the homeless, summer camps for kids, classes for parents, Bible studies, a food ministry, and a safe place for events. We also want to partner with other local churches and organizations to better serve this community. We are dreaming big and we need your help. We need prayer for us as we go and make disciples. We need people to join us on this mission and we need people to help us fund this mission too. We'd love to have you join us on a Sunday at 11 a.m. Everyone is always welcome. what that is doing that's just casting vision for God's work it's the same thing that Moses does he doesn't just show up and say here's the facts people and drop a scroll on them man people are broken God showed up and here's the work and Aaron I'm brother I'm asking you right and 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 look um, in another instance eight years ago God sent a, a guy called Mitch and his wife Amanda to, to Guatemala. And they, they, had, they went there once, came back, sold everything, went and, and landed, could barely speak Spanish, showed up, and, and God worked in them. They went there to, to proclaim the gospel. They, they went to a, a rural village outside of um, Guatemala City, and they began to preach the gospel and just get to know these people. Right, and so in that, um, just like in Cedar City, there's there's team getting the team on board, and, and there's resourcing the mission because it's difficult. And so, so in that, God began to birth a church and a, a passion for for Mitch to lead that church and to invest in the locals that they might be built up and trained and equipped to to lead and plant other churches in these super remote village in Guatemala. And, and guess what? In April, ten of us we get to go there. We get to join the, hey, we get to go there and, and we get to spend some time in, in being aligned around the mission and we're not trying to go and show up and tell them what to do. We are, we're learning from them. We are investing the resources that God has given us to come alongside what God is doing there, right? And, and for you, uh, we're strategizing in that just like David and Cedar City are strategizing and figuring out what it looks like and, and resourcing. We're getting caught up to speed on what that looks like, but look, you can still get involved, 
All right? You can uh, pray for us today. Would you do that? You can um, give because there are, there are several that, that are going that would definitely benefit from uh, some financial contribution to help that journey. And look, you can go if you want. And like time is very limited. So like if you're in, you need to let me know today. All right? And then we'll cue the soundtrack. All right? Look, but even part of that stuff, uh, even apart from that stuff, uh, apart from a church plant or, or a team of missionaries to a foreign land, the same is true for us. Um, the individual, whatever God is calling you into, you get to invite others into that, right? Um, you get to, now in fact, the church is not meant to be kind of lone ranger game, right? The mission of the church isn't designed to work any other way. It, it is a body with Christ as the head. It is a temple built by many bricks that house the literal spirit of God. That's what we are collectively. And so the question that, that you get to ask, and I'll just be done, and I'll try to catch up to the other part next week. Uh, we get to invite God, and we get to invite others into the work. We get to get a team on board to do whatever God is calling you to do. You get to do that. And it might be your family. Gosh, God has been stirring in me that I, what if, what if, it might be your community group that you would say, you know what, gosh, I have this neighbor and I'm scared to death to talk to him. Would, would you, and, and you can strategize, you can get the team on board, you can figure it out, what it looks like to join God's mission here. There, it might be wider than that, it might be more narrow than that, right? The, the, this strategy is not new and we get to learn from God's work through others like Moses in big ways and in small ways, Right? He's, he's going on a missionary journey. He's preparing, strategizing. He's getting himself. He's getting the team on board. God is doing the work. He uses Moses and Aaron and, and all the others as, as, as kind of the river to bring his salvation to his people. Can I be done today? Is that okay? Sorry I didn't wrap it up and put a bow on it. Okay. Uh, transitions challenge us to get things in order and to trust God for what's to come. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for your goodness and your grace, your kindness. Would you do something through your word today? Would you inspire us, and, and not in just some lofty way, but in some real way? Would you grip hearts in this room that we might boldly look at the life that we live to make sure it's consistent with the life that you're calling us to call others into? Would you show us that it's all about Jesus and what you have done on our behalf and, and, and the Holy Spirit and what you desire to do through us and for your glory, God, and, and not our own? Would you build us up? Would you let us look inward and look outward? Would you let us not um, miss the journey by looking at the destination? There are no throwaway scenes in our life. Would you remind us of that today? In Jesus' name, amen.